Hey, I'm in New York, but this is my postcard from MOCA, the Museum of Contemporary Art in LA. Come with. I'll be looking at the remarkable exhibition, With Pleasure, Pattern and Decoration in America, 1972-1985, on view through May 18, 2020. I'll also share some personal stories about working at the museum when I was 16, and the programming that shaped my views and values. Yeah, art programming, art education, art in general can do that. I'll also be recommending some of my favorite spots surrounding MoCA on Bunker Hill. Listen in. I'm taking you to my hometown of Los Angeles to visit MoCA in downtown. This is Studio Confessions, the art podcast. I am your host, Luis Martin, the art engineer. Listen in for conversations with artists and culture makers as we talk about their creative practice and what moves them. Let me share my wax poetic monologues and how to activate your creativity to live an inspired and more beautiful life. That's right. I said beautiful. Welcome to the studio. I'm glad you're here. MOCA, the Museum of Contemporary Art, was one of the only museums in downtown LA. It opened its doors in 1979. And it's the only museum in Los Angeles that was founded by artists. It sits at the top of Bunker Hill, a historic prominence, according to Wikipedia, that separates downtown from the rest of the city to the west. The museum is situated in California Plaza, cradled by high-rises, and of recent, it is now adjacent to major architectural landmarks in Los Angeles and seminal cultural keystones in the city, like the Disney Concert Hall, the Broad, each individually worth several visits and a podcast or two. But today, I'm sticking to MoCA. A lot of who I am has a lot to do with my time spent here. It's the reason I feel so connected to the world, as lofty as that may sound. Anywhere I travel, if there's a museum, I know I'm in good company. I know I'll be surrounded by people who share my values of looking at objects and the world, really, and asking questions. Mocha taught me that, asking open-ended questions that lead to answers and more questions, setting me up for a lifelong journey of curiosity. I had the privilege, and I mean the privilege, of participating in one of their educational programs. At the time, it was called MOCA Mentors. I think a reiteration of the program still exists with a different name, where high school students are invited to shadow key members of museum staff. This was huge. The program granted teens direct access, a thing teenagers in general often don't have, especially in the context of inner city LA in the 90s. I took full advantage of this and signed up for the work and shadowed anyone available. I remember one of the first people I shadowed was a visiting curator from Italy. She was fresh, carefree, uninhibited, in a very un-American way. While I helped her sort out some images, she asked me, What are you wearing to the Mike Kelly opening? Oh yeah, the program also gave me access to VIP openings, which as a 16-year-old was like getting keys to a vintage Chevrolet Malibu. For me, anyway. I told her at my aunt's old leather jacket, I thought I could wear it with a button-up and my docks. She said, oh, you look smashing. What are you wearing? I asked her. She responded, a red paper dress. It's perfect for the occasion. My eyes dilated. I thought, of course. These were the people I belonged with, finally. But more than the people, the environment, the physical space, seemed to indoctrinate me in some way into beauty, into feeling at home and seeking spaces that were created 
to be experienced that were conceptualized with people in mind, me. It made me aware not only of the architecture, but of how programming and curation could bring that architecture and any space to life. How a shadowy corner in a courtyard can become a romantic cafe, a setting for a symposium, a sanctuary for meditation. How a work of art or the texture of a tile can activate a space to be an experience. Mocha became my portal and my license to seek an experience without asking for permission or questioning if I belonged. Of course I belonged. I had a badge with my name and picture on it to prove it. Without knowing it then, I had become part of the creative class, a paradigm that, like all classes, has its problematic privilege and restrictions. But as a 16-year-old, it gave me a landscape to explore and plot my future through. Coming back, after 20 years of being an artist, navigating and overtly rejecting several aspects of being part of the creative class, because, well, it's a fraud dynamic, like most systems, that is led by expensive academic degrees that get you nowhere, which also fuels gentrification that breeds the housing crisis. The world is a bit of a mess, and yes, even the art world has its claim in it. But today, coming to MoCA, something felt right. What initially led me to visit was a conversation I had with a former high school teacher who I met for lunch straight from LAX the day I arrived. Later, over dinner that same night at Mayor Domo in Frogtown, she told me MoCA was now free. Free, I thought. Finally, more accessibility. Because in LA, you have to be initiated to get access to most places. Case in point, Mayor Domo, the lofty palatial restaurant we were in, it was in a hidden little corner of what five minutes ago might have been part of Elysian Park, and maybe a few years ago would have been gangridden, but now it's been rebranded as Frogtown, where out-of-towners like myself can wine and dine and feel cool which I did actually, but it's very much part of the gentrifying machine. So if you're listening to this and you live in Elysian Park, Boyle Heights, East LA, go represent, dine in, have a good time. Be part of the momentum that is happening in your neighborhood, in your city, go on, shine some brown excellence on the joint. So back to Mocha, and I love this story because here, like the red paper dress curator, is another person I wanna grow up to be just like. Apparently, Carolyn Clark Powers, the board president at MoCA, was like, oh, let's make MoCA free for the next five years anyway. Here, here's $10 million. Yes, please. That's who I want to be. Yeah, here, let everyone who wants in, in. This alone makes me want to visit because in New York, MoMA, which is in comparison to MoCA if possible, the admission is $25 per person. The Met, $25 too. The Guggenheim, $25. So planning a cultural trip with friends and family can be very prohibitive. But let me stop here for a sec. Pro tip time. Remember, if you are a New York resident, you get into the Met for free. So go, and if you spot some out-of-towner with that sticker price overwhelmed look on their face, extend your privilege. When it comes to the Guggenheim, I have nothing. But, and listen to this, if you're an artist with a few shows under your belt and a website and a business card, you can apply in person for an artist membership for all of $35, which gets you in year round and grants you $5 tickets for friends. And as I would encourage, friendly strangers. Listen, museums need funding and I'm not trying to cheat anyone, but funding comes from big sponsors and government grants. No reason to keep culture out of the reach of society and the general public. So do your thing 
get in. Hey, why so quiet? Want to share your thoughts on the conversation? Reach out on Instagram at StuConPodcast or visit the website studioconfessions.com. Follow me and check out my work at Art Engineer. Please leave a review on whichever platform you're listening on. It goes a long way. Now let's get back to the conversation. Mocha, not unlike most art museums, can be a little intimidating. The way the museum was designed, you have to go down a few flights of stairs to get to the entrance of the museum, as the people behind the counter watch you descend on the tricky little stairway, and it used to be that this is where you paid your admission, which meant if you didn't feel disoriented by the design or out of place for venturing into the art museum, you certainly felt something as you climb back up if you refused to pay the $14 admission. But that was then. Now that it's free, it eliminates this awkwardness, and you now get your symbolic admission ticket in the kiosk on the street level on Grand Avenue. Going down the stairway again to enter the museum was such a rush. I dreamed about this moment, sitting behind that counter at the entrance, selling admission tickets when I was 16, all the way until I was 19 when I left. I pictured myself coming down those stairs as a tourist, as I was now, as an adult, in full control of my life. I must admit, I glided down those stairs. Once I got in, it only got better. Mocha's mission is to present and preserve contemporary art made after the 1940s, which meant there was a lot of minimalism and abstract expressionist art on view, the majority of which was great, but it was a very limiting perspective, one that was mostly European and male. But I didn't think of that much then. I might have felt it, but it was just a feeling. None of that on this visit this time around. The gallery on the left side of the museum as you come seemed to pull me in with vast works of art that unlike the work I grew up seeing in situ there, these works were languid and in vibrant colors. Colors that seemed to have just jumped out of some box that had been cloistered for centuries. It reminded me of an anecdote I often hear in the Latinx community and the black community. Why are blacks and Latino people so loud? The answer? because they've been silenced so long. Well, that's what this felt like. A sigh of color, texture, scale, dimension. The museum felt oddly exclusive, safe, and separate from the context of downtown LA at the moment, but simultaneously tribal. Do you get it? Have you ever been part of a group at a perfect moment in time where everyone is invited and everyone that's there is on the same wavelength? Because anyone out of sync with this vibe, just wouldn't want to be there at that kismet moment. That is what I felt like. The exhibition I was literally experiencing is titled With Pleasure, Pattern and Decoration in America, 1972 through 1985. It's on view through mid-May. But if you're hearing this before, drop everything and go, preferably during the week, because now that it's free, it's the place to be on the weekends. The show presents work that was being made at a time when most, if not all, major institutions championed hyper-masculine artwork that was severe, cold, clinical, and minimalist. With Pleasure presents the counterpoint to this moment in time by bringing together the work of artists who were promiscuous in style, artists that played with decorative motifs, colors, florals, and arabesques, labor-intensive craft, which was considered to be women's work, and native or of native people the opposite of European, which was the golden standard much more then. 
And as you can assume, it excluded most women and non-European artists from the art dialogue of its time. So in some sense, yes, this is a sigh of fresh air, work that was suppressed from the museum walls for decades. There is a genuine sense of jubilance in the curation. There are a lot of magnificent works of art that stand out, too many to go over, but there are three artists in particular that moved me. Firstly, Miriam Shapiro, who head-on created art that addressed the snobbery against craft and the feminine through her work. She was a seminal force in the feminist movement throughout her career. She, along with Judy Chicago, formed the Feminist Art Program at CalArts in Valencia, California, which consisted of groundbreaking radical curricula at the time. And aptly so to the exhibit, Shapiro became the founder of the pattern and decorative movement in the mid-1970s. She created a practice she called Femage, which was her take on collage with a hyper-feminine sensibility. One of the works on view is actually a large heart that beautifully exemplifies her work and the conversations she so eloquently carried out through her art and her career. Look her up if you're unfamiliar with her work. The second artist whose work literally jumps out is that of Frank Stella, whose relentless experimentation has made him a key figure in the American art pantheon. The works in the show are perfect examples of his gestural sculptures that seem to actively be liberating themselves from the constraints of the 2D painterly plane. I mean, imagine this for a second. What would it look like if you were trying to escape from the confines of being flat, of being two-dimensional, and reaching for the freedom of the third dimension in the round, and having the time of your life while doing so? That's what I see when I see Stella's sculptures. It is captivating and playfully aggressive. It's worth a Google search. If you're unfamiliar with Stella or Shapiro's work, do it. What really placed the cherry on top of this almost transcendent show was an installation by Cynthia Carlson. A big part of the pattern and decorative movement was that of installation work or temporary environmental artwork that is now part and parcel of the art being produced today. The artists in the pattern and decorative movement saw the white cube gallery setting as an obstacle for how people see and experience art. These artists use domestic environments like their home as a laboratory for creation. Carlson's installation takes part of the museum's white cube to create a prism space, one that's almost inviting you to lick the walls that are embellished and decorated with high-relief acrylic paint, which is a fancy way of saying it's raised, not flat. This raised, not flat embellishment were made by piping acrylic paint from a piping bag as a baker would on a cake, and it looks just as frosting would, hence my impulse to want to taste the walls. The installation feels joyous fun with a deliberate looseness which almost promotes the viewer to interact or even dares you to be serious as one should be or expects to be in a museum. It was that fun. Take a look for yourself. With pleasure is up through May, but don't wait that long. There is also an exquisite catalog for the exhibition which you can get at the gift shop at MoCA. It'll set you back on the upwards of 60 bucks though. But, and I hate telling you this, because come on, let's support economies, right? But I found the catalog on Amazon for $20 cheaper. I'm whispering, I know. So get the book wherever you can. If you save $20, go buy some art supplies or support this podcast by buying a t-shirt. Go to studioconfessions.com and check it out. Thank you very much. But either way, it's a great book. 
Great exhibit. After MOCA, there are plenty of things to do around the museum. Here are two of my recommendations. One, go into Cal Plaza right behind the entrance of MOCA and take Angel's Flight, a quaint little relic of Los Angeles's bygone era since 1901. Angel's Flight is a two-cart trolley, or a funicular, as it is technically called, that goes up Bunker Hill from Grand Avenue, where Mocha is, down to Hill Street. It's coined as the world's shortest railway. It's a sweet little ride with sweeping views of downtown. It's a dollar each way. The second recommendation is right at the foot of Angel's Flight on Hill Street. Once you exit the funicular, cross the street at the crosswalk, which is five feet to the right of Angel's Flight. And I say this for my New Yorkers who might instinctually cross the street and get a ticket. Once you cross the street, you'll be at Grand Central Market, which has been around since 1917, which in New York years isn't a lot, but in LA years, that's like, you know, ancient history. So we're happy it's still there. But it is having its moment with foodies from all around the world right now, and rightfully so. Here, you'll find pupusas, which if you don't know what that is, you'll want to know. There is Japanese, Vietnamese, Mexican, Indian, I mean, tons of stuff. My favorites are La Huerta, which is a Mexican candy counter that sells candy, dried fruit, and nuts. The other favorite is Wexler's Deli Counter, where on my last visit, I had lox and bagels a few times. And then after that, if you still want more, exit the other end of the market on Broadway. And next to the Blue Bottle Cafe on the corner is a nice bonus recommendation. The Bradbury Building, where Blade Runner was filmed. It is also the oldest commercial building in Los Angeles, established in 1893. Again, that's a really long time for LA. If you're a film buff, it's worth a look at. It's now part of the swanky New York co-working space New House. Go visit. It's pretty precious inside with its wrought iron elevator and stairwells. This has been my postcard from my visit to MOCA, the Museum of Contemporary Art in LA. Where are you going? Send me a postcard. That's it. Thanks for listening. If you heard anything that moved you, please share it. You are the spark that can ignite a thousand flames. I am Luis Martin, the art engineer, sharing with you what moves me.